And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 276, and we're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris. Welcome along to the show. And before we get started this week, I just wanted to talk for a couple of minutes at least, not very long, uh, about Wonder Woman. Because this is the first time I think that, that Pete and I have gone to see a movie like the first week it's been out for a long time. And it was kind of born out of ennui and wanting something interesting to do and say, why don't we go see Wonder Woman? And we did. I'm not going to give anything away, obviously. The movie's just out. A lot of people still haven't seen it. But I will say that Wonder Woman gets a big thumbs up from both Pete and I. We both really liked it. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. It, of course, does have a mythological connection of sorts, uh, as you'll find out, of course, uh, once you see it. But, uh, yeah, we, we really liked Wonder Woman. We thought that, you know, it's about time that DC put out a really good superhero movie, and it makes us a little bit more... Um, a little bit more looking forward to the Justice League. I'm still a little leery about it, and I think Pete might be too, but I think that it's uh, it's got a better possibility of being good now that we've seen that, that, that Warner Brothers and DC can do a good superhero film, that it's a good, solid film and a lot of fun. And, and I will say that it's a damn shame if George Perez isn't raking in... Uh, royalties for for the wonder woman film because i mean it owes a lot to him and and you know that'll make more sense once you actually see it but yeah uh we'll talk about it some other time but uh yeah definitely go out and see wonder woman we really liked it all right so we do have an issue of the mighty thor to cover so let's just go ahead and move along to our review cross the rainbow bridge of asgard And this week we are looking at the Mighty Thor number two. Uh, came out back in uh, 2016. Sorry, folks, I don't know the date because this is a scan. Uh, but the cover art is by Russell Dodderman, and it shows Loki, uh, complete with his horrible face pubes, uh, standing on a big pile of snakes. And he's got a staff in one hand and hanging above his head, kind of swirling, glowing, lightning-y sort of energy around it is Mjolnir. And, of course, we see Jane Foster slash Thor's hand on it as well. Uh, that is the cover. It's a nice cover if you ignore the horrible face pubes because that, <laughs> that really looks bad. <laughs> 
And with that, let's open up to the credits. And yeah, it's not like, not like they don't even have a splash page now. It's just a kind of a credits page. When Dr. Jane Foster lifts the mystic hammer Mjolnir, she is transformed into the goddess of thunder, the mighty Thor. Her enemies are many as Asgard descends further into chaos and war threatens to spread throughout the Ten Realms. Yet her greatest battle will be against a far more personal foe, the cancer that is killing her mortal form. In fear of the All-Father... A man dark enough to imprison his own wife. The Congress of Worlds has taken zero action to reprimand Malekith the Accursed's raids against the Light Elves. Though her transformation into Thor cancels out her chemotherapy, Jane is eager to help the Light Elves fight back, but first must avoid being arrested by Odin's Thunderguard for unholy crimes against the realm eternal. Meanwhile, Malekith's Dark Council explores the idea of admitting Loki as a new member so long as he can first do one thing, murder Thor. The War of the Elves. The writer is Jason Aaron. Russell Dowderman is the artist. Matthew Wilson is the color artist. VC's Joe Sabino is the letterer and production. Dowderman and Wilson, of course, did the cover, and there's a bunch of variants that we don't really care about. Assistant editor is Chris Robinson. Editor is Will Moss. Tom Brevoort is the executive editor. Axel Alonzo is the editor-in-chief. Joe Casada is the chief creative officer. Dan Buckley is the publisher. And Alan Fine is the executive producer. Thor was created by Stanley Larry Lieber and Jack Kirby. Not necessarily in that order. And we open up to a beautiful splash page here. It shows Loki and... A large giant, I believe that this is supposed to be Laufey, and uh, they are walking together through very deep snow. Uh, well, at least Laufey is very deeply sunk into the snow. Loki's kind of, of levitating and not sinking down into the snow. Uh, and he's got kind of his green glow around his feet, so you know there's some kind of magic going on. And we see in the background a very crude sort of Lord of the Ringsy kind of map. And we are placed in Jotunheim, Land of the Giants. A uh, little bit of narration here. This is coming from, of course, Thor. And uh, she's saying, My dad was a plumber. After my mom died, he worked two jobs to put me through medical school. And most of my memories of him, he's utterly exhausted. But he never missed a softball game. Never forgot a birthday. Never failed to encourage me that I could do any crazy thing I set my mind to. If only some of the gods I know had been born with fathers a bit more like mine, I think my job as Thor would be a hell of a lot easier. And, um, and Loki is saying, Ah, here we are at last. Ready to share some long overdue father-son bonding time. What did you say this place was called again, Father Laufey dear? Bloodsucker Canyon, says Luffy. Ah, yes, yeah, sounds perfect. We have rather a lot to catch up on, don't we? So, what was it like being dead my entire adult life? Did you know that I missed you so much I once travelled back in time just to see you? To kill me, you mean? To bludgeon me to death while I lay wounded on the battlefield? And that might have been enough to earn my respect, Loki, if you had struck me down in order to seize my crown as any true frost giant would have. But instead you killed me out of petty anger, because you were too weak to ever be my son. And from what I see before me now, I'd say your time among the Asgardians has only made you weaker. I am told by some that you have been a force of great evil while I've been away. But when I look into your tiny little eyes... I see more mischief than murder. 
I remember teaching you many lessons in our short time together, boy, but mischief and trickery were not among them. Those are not the ways of the Frost Giant. You seem to be forgetting, father. Twas the ways of the Frost Giant that left you lying in that battlefield at Odin's feet, while it was Malachus' mischief and trickery that brought you back. What was that you said, little Nat? I said, I welcome the chance to prove myself to you, father. How may I do so? Walk the canyon, he says, and he will support my admittance into Malachus' dark council. Seems simple enough. Cold, yet simple. And so Loki is kind of like... Down, he's kind of. I don't know how to, it's like like the jet, one of the Jetsons uh, uh, aircraft. He's kind of got kind of hovering down uh, through the uh, the canyon, and we see Luffy's actually in the snow up to his knees, and he is confronted with five big old frost giants, and they're wearing various sorts of large clothing, and they're carrying several sorts of large weapons. And you've got some varying builds here. One of them has a nipple ring. Oh, two of them have nipple rings. So I, I guess they're kinky as well. And um, yeah. And so it looks like he's uh, in here. We get a uh, close-up of Loki's face kind of smirking. And we, of course, see these horrible chest pubes. Does, I, does Russell Dowderman ever actually seen a real beard? <laughs> even, even like the worst 16-year-old beard doesn't look as, as shitty as this. Anyway. Oh, father, who's the tricky one now, says Loki, and he's got this big old smirk on his face. I think we know what's going to happen here. And we shift scenes to Asgardia, city of the gods, so we'll have to wait a little bit to find out. And we are on the uh, Rainbow Bridge, at least the beginning of it, where we have Jane Foster Thor, and she is fighting against the Thunder Guard. So there are, it looks like, five of them. And they are attacking just the one of her. And Heimdall is just standing in the back watching. Because, you know, watching things, that's what Heimdall does best. And uh, we got, you know, uh, and huh, and all this. And it's a really nice shot here um, of Thor kind of fending off the hammers of the Thunderguard. And pretty much, you know, doing, doing her thing. Uh, but she keeps getting hit. So she's kind of, kind of got a, like a fat lip and... Um, yeah, obviously there's four of them ganging up on her, so, you know, it's not really a fair fight, is it? And uh, she says, It would appear they're giving those hammers out to just anyone these days, aren't they? And uh, we have cool Borson, and he's coming out, and uh, she's on her knees, and, and I guess she's not really beaten, but she's, you know, on her knees, and cool Borson is kind of striding out as though he's won. I assure you, my lady, the Thunder Guard have more right to their hammers than you do to yours. The holy weapons were gifts from Odin himself, forged of enchanted Asgardian iron, the same as their armor. These brutes are not his son, no matter how much he wants them to be. No, they're better. They are all the things the Odinson was not. They are worthy and ever obedient to their all-father. They are jackbooted thugs doing the bidding of a tyrant. And those hammers of theirs, tell me, Cool, can they do this? And she whips Mjolnir at, at Cool, and it bounces off all five of the uh, of these guards, and uh, it's going to clang, 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 clang. Yeah, it looks like it uh, yeah, bashes all five of them, and uh, and then it whips toward Cool who manages to deflect Mjolnir with his axe. He sort of swings his axe, and he deflects Mjolnir aside. 
And he says, Oh, you poor dear girl, you really have no idea, do you? The age of Thor is hereby finished, and you were the one who killed it. The guards are suddenly standing back up, and all of their hammers are being <laughs> thrown at her. And she's like, Oh, hell. Yeah, she, she's trying to dodge them, but she gets hit by a couple of them, and she's going, Yarg! And Heimdall, he's not doing anything. He's just standing there because that's what Heimdall does. He stands there, and the hammers are whipping by Heimdall, but missing him, and uh, yeah, he doesn't seem to be doing much of anything. And Akul uh, comes up to her and, she, and says, I don't know how you bewitched the once mighty Mjolnir. But such an unholy bond must not be allowed to stand. Thus it is as Minister of Justice that I now carry out the only sentence that befits such a blasphemous crime. Tell me, Thor, how will you lift your precious hammer once I've relieved you of both of your hands? And he swings his axe down, but it strikes something with a krang, a loud krang, and it looks like a sword of some kind. And we see that it is Heimdall's sword. So Heimdall has actually acted in this case. And he turns to, to Cool and he says, Not on my bridge. Heimdall, you dare! Aye, sometimes I do. My oath says I serve the Allfather. It says nothing of his black-hearted brother. But your oath! Stand aside, guardian of the Bavrust. I can fight my own battles, says Thor. Of that I have no doubt, Thor. But as you said yourself, your fight is not here. He raises up his hand, and he, it's got a glove with like all these little buttons on it, so I'm not sure what he's doing here. But he activates the, uh, the Bivrust, or the Bifrost, if you prefer, and there's this big, huge, uh, really gorgeous, actually, uh, color job here of, uh, of the bridge just kind of swirling, and this big old portal, and uh, Thor is like, wait, do not, and she gets sucked through somewhere, and uh, she's gone, and uh, <laughs> so I'm just standing there having uh, sent Thor away. Cool is not happy about this, and he's like, this is treason most foul. Heimdall, the all-seeing, son of nine mothers, as minister of justice, I hereby command you to lower your... And he, he lowers his sword, and he says, Just take me to my cell, serpent. I figure it's best I get one now, before the good ones are all filled. And they encroach upon Heimdall, who is, is clearly surrendered, and we see Thor, and she is toppling head over heels through some sort of maelstrom uh, being sent somewhere. And uh, she's thinking to herself, Heimdall was right. The Thunderguard will have to wait. My duty is not in Asgardia, but in Alfheim, where wages the War of the Elves. And she arrives on Alfheim, and... Uh, she what she sees is very startling to her, and we see you know, we have this sort of weird map in the background sort of thing going on in this issue. We have a um, a background of of the map of Alfheim, but we see there are holes being burned in it. So yeah, so so obviously very symbolic, and we see there's a bunch of Alfheim uh, uh, you know elves, and they are mostly dead, and you know the unicorns are dead, and they we and then we have um. 
these uh, dark elf soldiers and they're, they're looking very much like stormtroopers. I think that was the idea. They put them in sort of silver and jet armor and they and they have these sort of yes, you know, they're all kind of look the same, so it's a very stormtrooper y kind of thing. And they've got these these giant elephant things that are covered in it looks like they're covered in plants or muck or some kind of goo. I'm not really sure. But anyway, so there there's these giant elephant mounts that they're riding around on. We see uh, there's a tank. It says Roxxon on it. We see a few of these and uh, you know, people going around carrying guns as well as the um, you know, the, the elf weapons. And uh, Thor's looking at it and says, oh my god. And the light elves are fighting back, but you know they're, they're obviously heavily uh, out, outgunned. And they're like, no surrender! We fight till the last elf! We fight for the queen, and you know they're shooting in, in shooting their little pistols and their uh, magic and all that kind of thing, but it doesn't seem to be doing much good against these uh, stormtrooper type things. And we see that some of them have like magic wands. Yeah, they, these are obviously dark elves, and you know they're they're killing the little pixies and, and all that stuff. And the the tanks are rolling in, and um, uh, Thor comes down, and and she's not real happy, and she picks up the tank. Uh, to destroy it, and she shouts out, This war ends now! And we shift scenes to uh, Malekith, and he is uh, on top of this big old purple hill that's covered with some sort of weird purple flowers, and he's with these uh, three uh, three women. I don't know if they're supposed to be like the Norns or what. I guess they're war witches. Uh, that's, what, that's what it says here. And these war witches are like dark, they're dark elf uh, witches with, they've got this uh, really elaborate sort of claw hairdos and the uh, claw hairdos have eyeballs hanging from them. And it doesn't look like they have eyeballs. It looks like their eyes have been gouged out or whatever. And they haven't cut their fingernails for a very long time uh, because their fingernails are at least a foot long and they're all gnarled like a, like a real uh, fingernail would be if, if left to grow like that. Yeah, they, they're not very pleasant-looking uh, women. There's uh, you know, one tall, skinny one, one shorter, fat one, and then there's one that's... Uh, it's, it is sort of kind of a, like a dark perversion of the Norns. You, you have the uh, you know the old and the middle-aged and the young. The gardens of the fair and flames. The queen's road runs red with light elf blood. The march of the swamp mammoths cannot be stopped. Her necro troops will be in lost elf guard by nightfall. Come morning, Queen Elsha will either be kneeling or breathing her last. Malekith the Accursed will be king of all the elves. Oh, I like the sound of that, says Malekith. And he's obviously enjoying the scene going on before him. And uh, we do see um, a, a crackle of lightning across the sky and a crat-a-doom of thunder. And Malekith is like, but that sound I do not care for. Thor has come. And what of our welcoming party, my dear war witches? Any word from the jovial lord of Jotunheim? No, my king. Perhaps if we... And we hear uh, a voice coming from behind uh, the the, uh, old ladies. Frost giants and withered old witches. You should know by now, Malekith. When you wish to ensnare a god, best send an enchantress to do the job. And yes, it is Amora. 
Uh, and uh, so she shows up. She's looking really good here. I, it's been a while since we've seen her, hasn't it? I mean, we saw her, obviously, in the uh, Thor, Son of Asgard series, but that kind of sucked. So this is actually the real Enchantress. Your time will come, my dear Amora, I promise you. I grow weary of your promises, Elf. Since I have joined your Dark Council, you've yet to deliver on a single one of them. As I've told you, the Odin son will be yours. I already took his arm. I have little interest in the rest of him. As you took his arm, allow me to take the head of this pretender. I would love nothing more, but I have a rather different sort of job in mind for you. One perfectly suited to your unique charms, and one that must be carried out with some due haste. Just know, little elf, that if you betray me, I will turn the breath in your lungs to acid and your bones to hungry maggots. Oh, I do love it when you flirt with me, but I'm trying to run a war here, my dear. And as for Thor, do not worry. We have big plans for her. And we shift scenes, and we are back in Jotunheim, and Loki and Laufey. Uh, Laufey is like, it's not possible. Oh, I can scarcely believe it myself. This is it, right? Please tell me this is it. This is the moment we finally hug it out. Father, is something wrong? You act almost as if you weren't expecting to see me. I chose those five myself. They were blizzards made flesh. Any one of them could have slain an army of godlings. You mean to tell me you felled them all? Not exactly. And we, we see um, uh, the five of them. Well, some of them look like they're dead, and I don't know. But we have one that's uh, kneeling there, and he is uh, holding his ears in his hands. Um, his, his ears have been torn off, and the, he's uh, bleeding from where his ears used to be. I tore off my ears, but I can still hear his voice. Why can't I make it stop? I never laid a hand on them, father. I just spoke with them for a bit, was all. And then, for some reason, they decided to hurt themselves and each other. Apparently, they didn't like what I had to say. So, yeah, so we've got, uh, looks like, four dead giants and one who's uh, standing there with his ears torn off. That is not how we murder! That is not the way of the frost giant! No, it isn't, says Loki. But then I'm no frost giant, am I? I may have been born in Jotunheim, but I was raised in Asgard, and yet I am neither Jotun nor God, not truly. So what exactly does that make me? For many years I pondered that question before finally realizing the answer. I am Loki, and a Loki isn't a slave to the whims of his ancestors. A Loki writes his own story, and since you've been dead for so very long, father, I'll forgive you for not knowing. But my story has been rather fantastically good for quite a long damn while now. And, uh, yeah, and his impressive face pubes, too, I guess. <laughs> I'm not the same frightened child you used to swat aside like a fly. I am the Loki who just slaughtered your greatest warriors with nothing but words. So tell me, father, are you going to continue wasting both your time with these trivial little tests? Or would you like to see what a Loki can do to a Thor? And Laufey turns to him with a uh, kind of little smile on his face. And something tells me we're about to shift scenes. And indeed we do. We are now in Alfheim, as we see, looks like uh, Laufey or another 
frost giant. It looks pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's Laufey. Uh, kind of tromping through Alfheim, and Malekith is is floating alongside him. And he says, "My troops are marching on the gates of Ljosalfgard, the Light Elf capital. My war witches tell me it won't be long now. Alfheim will fall. Just the first of many casualties in this war of the realms," says Malekith. I'm so glad the King of the Giants could be here to watch it happen. Laufey wasn't made to watch wars. He was made to fight them. I care not about the kingdom of the elves. It's Asgard I want to see in ruins. In time, my friend. So the test went well, I hear. I understand Loki proved himself to your satisfaction. He will make a fine addition to our council. We would be fools to completely trust him, of course, but I must say, in the midst of these trying times, it does my heart good to see a father and son so happily reunited. Son, that thing is no son of mine. He is and will always be an abomination, a walking affront to my name and legacy. Aye, we will use him to strike at this so-called goddess of thunder, but regardless of how the confrontation goes, I promise you this. Neither Thor nor Loki are leaving Alfheim alive. And we shift scenes to a very um, female-looking palace. <laughs> uh, it, it, it looks exactly like a giant vulva. So Thor is talking with somebody who we can't see. And unfortunately, my voice is probably going to give it away. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, um, the, the elves are saying, We've lost the road. We've lost our cavalry. We've lost all hope. We cannot hold the city. Not against what is coming. Get the wounded inside, says Thor. I promise none shall pass while I live. And you get a... <laughs> and how long do you think that will be? The war is lost, but not even your unconditional surrender will stop Malekith from slaughtering every last white elf he can find. Though perhaps there's still a chance to save the lives of those poor souls inside. And our own lives too, of course. Because, believe me, we are both in grave danger. Mostly you, though I'm admittedly more concerned about me. And she's thinking to herself, Oh, no, not him. This day just keeps getting better. Relax, I come in peace. I assure you, my lady. I only want to talk. And we have a uh, shot here, of a full-page shot here of Tom Hiddleston. And he is uh, you know, facing uh, Thor, female Thor. We get a little caption here. My dad always said, if a man can't even smile without making you uneasy, then it's a good bet that man is rotten to the core. Oh, Dad, you have no idea how right you were. And that is The Mighty Thor, number two, to be continued next week. And, of course, we're going to have a few things to say about the issue, as we always do, right after this message. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that taste forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. 
the Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And we're back. And of course, we do have a few things to say about the issue, as we always do. First of all, I do like this issue. I, I think that uh, they're, they're going, kind of going an interesting way with it. Of course, we've got Loki. Of course, he's evil. Of course, he's going to try to, uh, you know, to make uh, Thor think that he's on her side. And of course, they try to make him look like Tom Hiddleston with face pubes. Um, the face pubes, I, I think, are an abomination. <laughs> but other than that... I really like the art. I really like Dowderman's art. I like the way it looks. It's almost, and, and I don't know if I've said this before, it, it's almost like it's a mix of Oliver Koipel and Charles Vess because he, he de very definitely, there's de very definitely a Charles Vess kind of influence to the artwork. And, and you can see a bit of Koipel in there too. I don't know if that's the inker or whether that's actually what he's intended. But in, in certain shots, and, and particularly uh, shots of, of uh, Thor's hair, um, he, he definitely looks like a, a Charles Vest painting, and you know, by way of uh, you know, Art Nouveau, um, he's always doing something interesting with with cloth, uh, whether it's like just kind of torn cloth, or whether it's you know Thor's cape, or you know, we, we have like, like Loki's waistcoat here. Uh, that looks like it's uh, been through some rough times and it's kind of frayed around the edges. And he always makes it look cool and he always makes it look, uh, you know, it looks like it could be real, you know. Um, obviously, uh, it's a fantasy element. I mean, they, they can fix their clothes with magic or whatever, but, but in this case, they, they look well-worn. Um, not as fond of the Marvel movie stuff that creeps into this, this series so far, whether we have the movie version of, of Heimdall. I'm okay with, with, with Heimdall in the movies, but that's not how Heimdall has always been in the comics. And especially if you go back to uh, some of the stories we've covered recently, like in the Sif uh, stories that we covered some time ago, um, yeah, the, the portrayal of Heimdall is much more like he has been in the past. Here we have a Loki that they're, they're trying to make look enough like Tom Hiddleston that, that people will identify it with the movies. But at the same time, this is obviously not the cinematic universe. So it, it's kind of like, okay, well, I get, I get why they're doing it. They want people to buy the book. Um, but I think that they could get people to buy the book just, you know, just because of what's going on here. Um, it's good to see Alfheim and the impact that, that Roxanne and Malekith have had on it. Um, I, again, I think the Roxanne thing has been drawn out too long and I, I'm not going to go back on that, but it is, it is good. I mean, I, you know, I, I did enjoy this issue of the comic and I am looking forward to seeing more despite the fact that this isn't my ideal Thor. Um, you know, I'm going to take it for what it is like I did with, with the last series and, and, you know, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll not be good. I don't know. Anyway, so we'll see where it goes. All right, and with that, it's time to wrap up the show. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And of course, if you have anything you'd like to uh, to tell us, anything you'd like to communicate, uh, you can either send us an email at radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also find us over on Facebook. Join our Radio Free Asgard Facebook there, and you will find us. And with that, we're back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders. 
and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>